Hi, podcast listeners. Mark Miller here with this quick message before the show starts. A lot of people who listen to our podcast are also looking for other shows. Josh Brezers and Kurt Seafried host the podcast Open Source Security that I think you'll find entertaining. Their latest episode is Leap Seconds Break Everything, a fascinating look at something most people don't think about, but everybody is affected by. Every time there's a leap second, things break. Facebook wants to get rid of them because they break computers, but Google found a clever way to keep leap seconds without breaking anything. Josh and Kurt have well over 300 episodes of their irreverent banter. Just dig in and start listening. Again, the show is called Open Source Security. You can find it on all major podcast platforms. Technology influences every aspect of our life. It's hard to remember a time when analog was separate from digital. How do we balance the pace of innovation with its social impact when everything is changing so quickly? For Daniel Crook, these two threads converged in 1995. Dan went to Trinity College, a small liberal arts school in Hartford, Connecticut. He wasn't sure what to major in, a common dilemma when making the jump from high school to college. The choice of a liberal arts school offered a broad range of choices and an introduction to different personalities. There was a lot of mixing of people from different backgrounds with different interests. Dan was a political science major and graduated with a double major in international studies. But he happened to live with a computer science major his first year. Back in 95, I was introduced to web development. It was a very wired campus, building websites, deploying stupid little fun hobby websites. That's really what got me into learning HTML, the early days of JavaScript. I took my first course on that in 97, so it blows my mind 25 years ago. Just learning to create something and immediately see it visible was great. And you can contrast that with policymaking, where it takes a long time to establish an impact and things can be reversed by the change in administration on all the work you did. Dan came to a career-defining realization as he balanced his political science career with his passion for web development. After graduation, he did an internship at the Federation of American Scientists, a nonprofit policy research and advocacy organization. The Federation is still in existence today, working to minimize the risks of global threat arising from nuclear weapons, biological and chemical agents, and climate change. It was fascinating to be in the policy world, learning about what sort of changes were happening during that internship in Washington, but also in the afternoon, using web skills to publish information so others can understand the impact of new landmine legislation that Senator Leahy has brought forward. So what I realized was there was an immediate and more lasting impact of doing web development, publishing that, versus doing research and trying to understand the impact of legislation. And of course, the it, you know, how ephemeral it was in 1999, going from that to 2000, a year later in 2001, and all the changes around the world that happened then. The realization came at an opportune time. The dot-com boom was in full swing. There was a lot of opportunity for non-technical people to participate because the concept was so new. Dan was able to use his growing web development skills to switch career paths at the height of the dot-com boom in the late 90s and early 2000s. He would soon discover that his day job was not the fastest route to building new skills. 
You are listening to the Untold Stories of Open Source. This week, coming to you from a cabin in the mountains and forests of North Carolina. Each week, we choose an open source project or a person behind a popular open source project to uncover its untold stories. Since you work with open source, and you do whether you know it or not, you're in the right place. Stay with us. One of the first startup jobs I had based on the skills I was developing was at a Microsoft ASP shop and learning those skills in web development. But on my own time, in my personal projects and my freelance, it was a lot cheaper to get hosted applications based on PHP, Apache, and MySQL. I learned a lot of those skills and realized there was a lot of great documentation, a lot of build great communities there to help you deploy websites and, and host them for you know, basically pennies a month. And then another job I was working with Solaris, but I wanted to build new skills. Every time I ran into an issue, I realized the documentation for Linux was so much better. Open source came on Dan's radar around that time, and not just in a small way. Early 2000 was when he started using his first Linux Mandrake distribution. There was a personal connection between Linux and his background as a Swede. I come from the same background as Linus Torvalds. My father's Swedish-speaking Finn. My mother's uh, Finnish-speaking Finn. We always knew Linux was this kind of cool thing to be proud of as a Finn. And I remember hearing that. And that was definitely when I heard about the concept of open source. Actually, when I moved to New York City, seeing the big billboard, the big tux up on one of the buildings there, and that IBM had done a $1 billion investment in Linux. There was a lot of press around that time, a lot of excitement in 2001. What could this be? What's the philosophy behind it? And that's what it all kind of melded together for me. The discovery of these early open source communities led to the moment when he realized his independently learned skills not only had value, but had an underground economy attached to them. And that still seems to be a lot of how people learn skills. And it was definitely how I learned and used JavaScript. You get a guestbook CGI script, you use it, you customize it, and then it's something you've built upon it. So a lot of that, I think, is really important for open source and probably how folks got introduced to so many different languages is there was something out there that did kind of what they wanted to do. And then they took that copy and pasted it, modified it, and turned it into something new. You made something better from what someone else already created. That's an important concept in open source. People found something that did kind of what they wanted to do. And then they took that, copy and pasted it, modified it, and turned it into something new. Dan upped his open source game when he heard OSCON 2002 was going to be held in San Diego. People like Lawrence Lessig and the originator of Pearl, Larry Wall, were going to be there. He decided he had to be there, too. OSCON came to San Diego in 2002. I was living in New York City, and I knew I wanted to go to do that event, open source convention. Unfortunately, I waited to the last minute to buy a plane ticket and realized how expensive they were. So I ended up driving from New York City to San Diego over the course of two and a half days. thousand miles a day, I drove in a pickup truck without cruise control. Attending OSCON enabled Dan to meet some of his heroes in the world of technology. He was able to see the connection between the commercial world and open source through IBM's involvement with the Apache project. Dan viewed open source as a gateway for new developers, a bridge between technical and non-technical communities. His realization was that the benefit of a career in open source 
is you don't have to come to it with the full computer science background. You can bring any skill you have to it as long as you have an interest and a passion to build something cool. Even to this day, for example, my sister, she's a professor at Rutgers. She builds her personal website, her CV, her class materials. She publishes it all through GitHub pages. She just needs to learn a few of the tools, applied it to what her own expertise was, and she was able to contribute to something and people can reuse that. You see that common thread. And it was the same talk we did at All Day DevOps last year at Open Source Summit. My colleague and I, Demi Ajayi, did a talk on how do you contribute to open source projects if you're not technical. There are so many ways to use it and give back to it without needing to have a deep technical software engineering background. Individuals like Dan's sister are not exceptions to the rule. Many people coming up think they have to have a computer science background to do anything of significance. That's just not how it works. To create software for people, you need to understand what that end user community is. And therefore, you got to have the people that are end users, your customer essentially, embedded in those communities. And so you're always going to have to have the full engagement of non-technical people in technical projects to make sure the technology is solving problems for those people. Despite the excitement, these were trying times. The dot-com bubble burst three months after ASCON. Stocks plummeted 78%. Companies vanished and careers ended. This was a devastating loss for many. For those who survived, new opportunities emerged. IBM was a well-known name, but to see people in person, see how the company is making an impact on that cutting-edge technology at the time, was really something that inspired me that I said, if I'm looking for a new job, a new role, I would love to get my foot in the door at IBM. Unfortunately, that opportunity arose around 2002. The economy was kind of tanking. and I got laid off as, as what I was doing at the time. A job opening came up for web developer at IBM. And so I started doing IBM.com web development, front-end development. And it was fascinating to see things that IBM was doing that no other web development shops were doing. They had their own DTD for HTML. They had to be Section 508 compliant for accessibility because they're a government contractor. It was just cutting edge to do web development right, to see inside what went into creating a proper website that was accessible to everyone. The relationship between enterprise and open source isn't always smooth. Higher-ups often view open source as a competitor to their proprietary products. Why would they help give away their software for free when they're in the business of making money? Why would they use this stuff? To them, open source is a threat to their bottom line. Dan and IBM take a different approach. An advantage IBM has had in the last 20 years is the realization of how to be complementary with open source. IBM has been there since the beginning with Apache, with Linux, and more recently with the Cloud Foundry at the Linux Foundation, with OpenStack through its own foundation, with Kubernetes through the CNCF, and the Open Container Initiative. There has always been something that the larger enterprises in the space have understood. If you are collaborating on the fundamentals, that collaboration is good for the industry and is good for you as an enterprise solutions provider. It's where the smart money is. If you're focusing on the base layer with your competitors, with your collaborators, you can spend your time, your investments, your resources on the differentiated stuff. So what you do really well where your niche is in the market. Using that common base layer enables 
the tool we used in more places. You're listening to Daniel Crook tell his story about open source and call for code, a project at the Linux Foundation in collaboration with IBM and the United Nations. The Call for Code project is just one of over 700 projects supported by the Linux Foundation. Projects like the Open Source Security Foundation, ONAP, Kubernetes, Hyperledger, and RISC-V all call the Linux Foundation home. If you're looking to contribute to an open source project, there are dozens that can use your help. If you have a project that needs support, bring your project to the Linux Foundation and have full access to the support resources we can provide. At the Linux Foundation, we're more than just Linux. We help open technology projects build world-class open source software, hardware, data, and standards communities. We'd like yours to be one of those projects. One of the dilemmas of working collaboratively on an open source project is what happens when contributors have different goals. How do you know what non-technical users want out of a project, how to balance these different points of view as part of working together on a common solution. A project is going to be driven by the people who are the most invested in it to achieve a solution to their original problem. There will always be a natural inclination that the software project is going to be driven by its key contributors that may prioritize specific interests or priorities of those contributors. The challenge with any open source project is really the balance between key stakeholders who's really invested in making a technology succeed. And of course, they have to give up their own time and effort to make sure a project is successful. You balance that against a community of folks who are maybe less invested or they want to use the technology, but not necessarily have the commitment to drive it with any open source project, and this is not just the Linux Foundation, is how do you get through that growth period? How do you jump that chasm between somebody created this project for their own goals? They know it's something that other people can use and contribute to, but that originator of the project is going to have a vision for it. They want it to solve their problem, but they fortunately do also recognize that it's a common problem that others want to solve as well. Let's recap that because it's so important. Someone launching an open source project needs to realize that it is going to be driven by the people who are most invested in it and most wanting to achieve a solution to their own problem. There's always going to be a natural inclination for the project to be driven by its key contributors, and that may be in the specific interests or priorities of that company or person. That's where a governing body plays a role. There needs to be an objective overseeing entity that can pull back a bit and say, let's hold on a second. This is not quite headed in the direction that is best for everyone. It's this type of collaboration that makes open source so powerful. Daniel's work at IBM culminated in partnerships that allowed him to bring together the two threads that first converged back at Trinity College in Hartford. He was able to empower others 
to use and develop technology that has a positive impact. Where I am in my career is actually in a project we call Call for Code with the Linux Foundation. It's, it's a partnership between IBM, the Linux Foundation, United Nations Human Rights, and David Clark Cause. And so getting to that point from where I was, it was interesting because I had a background in political science and understood a lot about how institutions, non-governmental organizations work. And so blending that background of political science and international studies together with the Linux Foundation, together with open source, and aligning the world's greatest challenges as defined by these experts in humanitarian organizations, together with the skills that people are building and bringing to take on those challenges, was a huge part of bringing the two threads in my life together. How to use technology to solve these humanitarian issues. Much of what was launched with Call for Code in 2018 was a combination of how Dan learned a variety of technology skills, building websites, building back-end technologies, understanding the impact of those technologies, together with an interest in how do we make the world a better place. Call for Code's mission is to build and contribute to sustainable, open-source technology projects that address social and humanitarian issues. One of the most challenging things in the Call for Code project is introducing people to the concept of open source when they don't have a technology background or understanding of the philosophy behind it. How do you convince people that there is not just a need for it in their organization, but it is critical in order to scale their development efforts? We see in a lot of folks trying to scale the impact of what they do is not being afraid of losing control over their project through an open source or losing some special IP. It's amazing to see when people have that mental switch and say, oh, wow, open source works for me, not against me. Many are very familiar with consuming open source, but actually providing it themselves and getting over that initial challenge and saying, oh, I can, I can do this. I can give this to other people too. And they can in turn make what I'm building better. There is also the issue of follow-through. Many tech-for-good initiatives, such as Call for Code, produce applications to solve a problem, but that solution never sees the light of day. The Call for Code initiative ensures that innovative technology will have a sustainable impact. When people launch competitions, they try to solve that problem. They run a contest, they award a prize, and then it kind of fizzles out from there. What we tried to make different, do differently with Call for Code was leverage the Linux Foundation partnership with IBM to help not only inspire developers to take on those challenges through a competition framework, but also that after the competition ended, that they had a framework for incubation where they could deploy that innovation and make a difference and scale it globally. So that's really the main thrust and goal of what we do with Call for Code is not just recognize and inspire the innovation, but leverage the open source model to incubate it, get folks to go through a 12 to 18 month process from when they've won the competition to building a community, building a sustainable business or entity around that technology, and then inviting the community to contribute and use it. That's really what we do differently. That goal isn't just theoretical. These competitions have inspired immediate and lasting change for almost five years, providing solutions to real-world problems. Beyond that, a single call-for-code project can branch into multiple applications. CFC has run a global competition since 2018. One of the projects that came out of the competition 
was Project Owl. What they were trying to do was establish an emergency mesh network that could be deployed quickly and cheaply after a disaster that knocks out communications like Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. They brought their technology into the Linux Foundation under the Call for Code umbrella. They've got a community now of a thousand folks in their Slack community. They themselves have a successful startup in Brooklyn that has created individual bespoke devices and networks that connect into this underlying protocol. Folks are also using that open source core, that mesh network technology in various different domains. Project Owl, they focus on some government type of contracts, oil and gas industry type of ways to use this emergency mesh network, for example, on a a platform out in the Gulf of Mexico that may be disconnected due to a storm. And then you have folks like students at Cal Poly using it for certain agricultural purposes. And there's actually some aerospace applications of using this type of radio technology. That's one where people have taken the core, they've applied it in different ways. Maybe they've discovered different security problems or performance problems, and they brought those back into the community for everybody else to benefit, including Project Owl, the originator. This concept is now mutually trademarked with the Linux Foundation as the ClusterDuck protocol. ClusterDuck is an open-source firmware for wireless Internet of Things devices. This protocol can be used to create customizable sensor and communication networks. Technology benefits from having a wide range of contributors. Unfortunately, the industry is historically known for shutting out women and people of color who could otherwise contribute to innovation. Call for Code tackles these barriers by creating opportunities and building trust within underrepresented communities. There's a process to upskill participants as they learn about open source, data science, and mobile apps. Within the Call for Code initiative, there are case competitions that go to historically black universities, plus an entire subsection of Call for Code for racial justice. The purpose of the Racial Justice Project is to use technology in a positive, transparent way. There's a portfolio of seven projects under that Call for Code for Racial Justice umbrella that have come from folks within IBM and Red Hat, but also contributed to by close integration with, for example, the YMCA of Los Angeles and the community outreach that they do. So really bringing together the latest cutting-edge technology, using it in a transparent way, and making sure you're involving the stakeholders in it at all times to make sure that it's making a positive impact and not having unintended consequences. These two threads of innovation and impact have come together through Call for Code. There is a sense of excitement when watching participants rise to the occasion when given the opportunity. Looking forward three to five years for Call for Code, one of the things that we're starting to see take hold is you have some innovation that has come into the competition one year or two before another innovation before another innovation. So you have a community in Call for Code of more mature projects and fresh projects. And what's fascinating is to see how they all interrelate with each other. Even if they're covering different domains, different technologies, they're benefiting from each other, from common best practices for how they release even just their project websites through GitHub pages, through how they use common React components or things like that. What I would love to see in the Call for Code community in the coming years is that this virtuous cycle continues where people are creating new innovation 
based upon those foundational layers, those paths that have already been blazed by these earlier projects, put it in such a place that people can innovate much quicker, that they can pull these tools together, they can solve their problem, something in their community that is also going to have an impact worldwide. Our program today was created with help from the team at the Linux Foundation, including James McLeod from the Phenos Project, Chip Stewart for promotional management of the series, Melissa Schmidt for graphic design and the cool logo, and Noah Lehman helping with social media promotions. The script for this episode was provided by Mark Levesque, music courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions and their soundscape of Build the Sled. Our website, where you can listen to all of the episodes of the Untold Stories of Open Source, completely ungated and free, can be found on our GitHub project or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Speaking of subscribing, we'd very much appreciate you smashing that button and becoming part of our 6,500 downloads and climbing community. I'm Mark Miller, back next week with another Untold Story of open source.